Welcome to Around the IT Block Podcast, presented by HPE. I'm your host, the IT Oddfather, Calvin Zito. This is podcast number 32, and you guys, if you've been listening to me for more than a, a little bit, you know that I came as a storage guy to Around the IT Block, where I'm taking on bigger topics. And one of the topics that I think is really interesting, that is really kind of a bit of a blind spot for me, is AI. I have done a few things around AI, but really getting to kind of differentiate concepts within AI is not something I understand. And that's what we're going to do today in this podcast. Joining me today is an expert in the industry around AI. He's been in the space for a long time. He's now a consultant in the space, Frederick Van Heeren. Frederick, we've known each other for a while, back when uh, you were an end customer and you were using 3PAR in your environment. It's good to connect with you here and talk about AI. Why don't you start by introducing yourself and tell folks what you do? Sounds good. Thanks for the intro, Calvin. So my name is Frederick Van Heren, and um, I have been working on speech for, for probably about two decades. And um, starting in 2005, the speech industry realized that AI, or at least AI as we know it today, was becoming a dominant factor to make decent progress uh, with speech pro around speech products. And so they took me out of uh, research and they said, basically, here's a, a, a pile of hardware, here's some money and build us an AI infrastructure. Uh, in 2005, we started out with 3.2 terabytes of storage, which seemed like humongous in those days. Uh, 10 years later, uh, we were having over 100 racks of HPE gear and uh, many petabytes of, of storage. I did that until maybe 2016 when I realized that uh, I still was very interested in AI, but I wanted to do something else than speech. So I became a consultant uh, around AI, mostly helping enterprises uh, understand what AI is and connecting them with vendors on how they could implement AI. And then maybe in the last year or so, uh, I'm doing more and more solutions uh, around AI, and that's because the market has evolved from piece it yourself together to buying solutions that have been proven. That's that's kind of the my history of, of AI in this in this market. Well, it's kind of ironic. I think some perfect synergy, you know, we're we're recording this on Teams, I'm using Teams, and on the right side of Teams, there's a capability to have a transcript, and as we are talking, I am getting word-for-word -word transcript of us talking, so this is exactly what you were doing when you worked in the space, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, in the early days, we were just happy to translate word by word, and when I say translate, it's really going from a binary format, so, you know, you you save your voice, and then we were trying to kind of cut the words out of it. In the meantime, technology has evolved significantly in the sense that the technology is not just aiming at trying to understand word by word, but is actually trying to make sense of a sentence as well as context. And the context is, is what the future is all about, right? So the context helps you filling the gaps, but also helps kind of focus the, the whole conversation. And I think everybody has at least some level of understanding of what AI is. But I know for me, 
I was confused about some of the differences between some of the like ML and DL, and we'll define all that. But let's start with what is AI? Right. So the goal of AI is to look back at the past and, and try to come up with a model that helps us predict the, the future. So how do we do that? And so everything we do leaves traces and those traces are our data. They could be in a textual form. It could be in an audio slash binary form. If you look at the concept of collecting all that data, storing it and processing it and eventually coming up with a model of a representation of your data, and use that to predict the future. It sounds like, you know, too good to be true, but the reality is, is everything we do leaves traces. So why not take advantage of the data we have and predict the future? Now, how is that different from the past? Well, in the past, we were really driven by rules, right? So if you look at chess, for example, if, if people wanted to come up with a chess game, you would have to programmatically say what the rules are of chess, and then you would hire a grandmaster, and the grandmaster would have some defenses and some, some offensive strategies, and you would turn that into code, and then the combination of all that code, which we, we call a program, that eventually is what you would call a chess game. What AI does is a little bit different in the sense that AI says, well, every time you play data, each move is considered data. So if you have a grandmaster play a chess game, if you would record all these moves, and if you would do that for hundreds of games or thousands of games, you would be able to distill the rules of the game and you would be able to figure out which move would strategically make sense when you play chess. And that's really the goal of AI, is to take all those data points, make sense of it, and then next time you play a game, you use that model to figure out what your next move is. So I, I don't know if you're much of a card fan, but I'm going to throw something else out there as maybe a way to think about it. I mean, I think of the game that I like to play, which is blackjack and blackjack is pretty clear. There are rules. And I'm guessing that AI wouldn't be very applicable to blackjack because, you know, there's certain rules of what you do when the, when the dealer has certain face, a certain card up versus what your hand is. It's pretty, pretty predictable of what the outcome is going to be. Black or a, a poker maybe is a different story because now you got a bunch of people that you're playing against and how they play and how they may react to different situations is is very much applicable to an instance of AI. Is that does that seem to resonate with you too? Yeah, it, it does. And you know, it's like blackjack. You know, it's it is limited amount of cards. Uh, but if you look at a game like Go, where the the possibilities are humongous, you know, for us as a human, it's very difficult to understand and predict which move is the right move and using uh, computers to build up a model and extract just the right moves is 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 very helpful to us right and that's really what ai is about you know ai is about augment us humans it's not a goal to replace us but it provides us the ability to do things and understand things that otherwise we would not be able to understand well and as you say that it it forces me to think about 
like what storage is doing. Let's bring it back to the, you know, the old storage guy part of my my life. You know, there, there's a big focus, not just with storage, but across infrastructure around AI ops. And I think that applies there too, because what we're talking about is trying to make the job of the person managing infrastructure easy because we're collecting all this data about what's happening within the infrastructure and telling them, hey, you know, based on all this information, all this data that we've collected, based on training that we've done of our systems, this is what you should do instead of having somebody have to figure that out for themselves. Right, exactly. So AI, to a certain degree, is learning from the past, right? So you 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 build a model based on what you learned from the past, you deploy that moving forward, but you keep on learning, right? So as as the the storage system, you know, just to use your example, there, there's a there was a past behavior. If the behavior changes in the future, then AI will keep on learning and will also change its model and adapt to the new behavior. So I think another big topic when we talk, when we start at the still at this level of AI is you've kind of hinted at it and that's like what you learn. And I think within the language of AI, they call that training. And I know I saw you present this a few weeks ago at Discover, but talk about training and inference and what those are and how those apply to AI. Right, so when 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 we talk about AI from a high level, there is the what we call training and inference. So what is training? Training is is the the stage where you collect all your data and you process all that data. And the ultimate goal there is to come up with a simple simple model that represents statistically all that data. So it's a lot of words to say you might have petabytes and petabytes of data, but in the end you want to have a few megabytes or a few gigabytes of data that represents all of that data. Now assume that we have all that data in a model. The next stage is to put it in production, right? You know, training is one thing, but you still need to utilize the model. And inference is exactly that. So inference is really productizing that model, put it in deployment. And so to give you an example, uh, if you look at Waze, for example, right? A lot of people use Waze, but when you enable Waze and you say, I'm gonna go from A to B, that is inference, that's not training, right? So when you start Waze on your phone, it's not gonna go through, through petabytes and petabytes of data to analyze, to figure out where you're going. It's gonna use a simplified model to just get you going while in the background, in the waste data centers, that's where they collect all the data from all the trips from all the people, and they're trying to optimize that model such that if something has changed, they can improve the model, push that model to your phone, and such that you, in less than a second, you can use that model and figure out where you can go from A to B. So let me press on that a little bit more to clarify. So as I was... Before you gave that example of ways, I'm thinking in my head, okay, there's the training and the inference, but there's probably always a feedback loop once you get into inference, because if something changes, you want to be able to update the model. I think you just kind of described that. So the example of there, you know, you're, you're going from A to B and the normal path that is normally the best route has an accident on it. And so you're going to get a real time update to the, to the model, to the, uh, how to get there. How, talk a little bit more about that and how complicated is that in a in a system to be able to change the model 
Right. So that's that's kind of reflects what I said earlier that AI keeps on learning, right? So the best data you can collect in an AI project is the data from from users using your product. And so each time somebody uses Waze, that's that little bit of information where they say, I want to go from A to B, goes back into the training pool and that data is being analyzed again. So it's kind of difficult to use Waze as an example. Why don't we use uh, video security as an example? When you go to a factory, they might have security and they have cameras and maybe the, the factory floor is only open from nine to five, but from, my, from five to nine, the cameras will still record whatever is happening on the floor, but there's no people, right? So how do you feed that back to the pool? And at the edge, you know, assuming that the video cameras are at the edge, you can say, I'm going to do a little bit of training at the edge and only send back the differences. And the differences are when maybe the cleaning crew comes by or when when one of the security guards is walking in the hallway and you you're not going to send back the video screens where there is nothing happening and so this is how ai really works right so there's a loop back but it doesn't necessarily send everything back to the training phase it only sends the interesting pieces back to the training model to the training session and then you create a new model that you then can push to to the inference session. That makes total sense. You know, I think another area that for me was always confusing. And, you know, your your session at Discover definitely helped clear it up a bit, but let's talk about it. And that's what is the difference between AI, ML and DL? And let's define those terms. So so someone listening that maybe doesn't really understand the difference between those has a better understanding. Right. So AI, are, AI as a term has 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 existed for a long time. It goes back to the 1950s, right? And AI in those days was very generic. You know, the, there were some definitions as mimicking um, uh, people, uh, automating things, and so on. And then, if you look closely to the 1980s, they started talking about machine learning. And so what is machine learning? Machine learning is the more the, the data centric approach. It's where in the 80s infrastructure became more affordable, you know, storing um, gigabytes or megabytes of data in the 80s was was not that costly anymore. And so machine learning needed some help, meaning that if you look at the chess game example, um, you could collect uh, games being played but the rules were still being fed through um, through uh, the chess rules were still being fed as rules uh, into the source code. So with that, what that basically means is that it was the start of the data centric area, but you were still using some CPU and rules in order to implement what we call features. So if you look at the definition of AI, there are features and labels. And so a label could be um, banana and the features could be it's yellow, it's curved uh, and so on. And so machine learning really was the entry point uh, for data centric analysis. Now, what is deep learning? Deep learning is really a subcomponent of machine learning. 
So it can be confusing because when people say machine learning, you know, in theory, deep learning is part of it. Uh, but it's always best to specify as close as possible to what you're trying to do. So what is deep learning? So deep learning takes the data-centric approach. However, it will, it will create and try to analyze and figure out the features and the labels itself. So maybe a better way to explain it is, is to leave the technology behind and to use an example. So if machine learning is a human and deep learning is a, uh, an alien, and the goal would be to sort fruit, like a fruit basket, for example, right? So there's a limited amount of fruit and a fruit basket. The human has an understanding of features and labels for the fruit, right? So it would know that a banana is yellow and curved, and it will know that it's called banana. The, the alien has no ID, but the alien will recognize that it's curved and that there are colors involved and, and so on. So the, what, what the human, the benefit of the human is that he or she will understand what the fruit looks like. However, if fruit is being presented that the human has never seen, there will be a complete mismatch. With deep learning, there are no expectations. So for deep learning, you're trying to, to recognize forms and colors, and you try to build up your own features and your own labels. And so the, the challenge with deep learning is because you have to do a lot more research yourself, you need a lot more data and a lot more computes in order to get this done. So let's keep poking at that example a little bit. Does that mean in deep learning that you don't expect the alien to identify this piece of fruit as being called a banana, that instead deep learning is going to just identify it as you know, fruit A, but it's going to be able to differentiate from all these things that are in the basket? What, what, what's, the, what's the output of deep learning? Because if, if it doesn't know what the fruit is, but it can identify it and sort it and characterize it, what's it do with that information from there? Right, so so deep learning basically is technology that you use when you you try to figure out what you don't know, right? So the the human the human has a preset uh, set of information which are features and labels, and knows exactly what to expect. Now, when it sees something it's unexpected, it will push it to the side. So, for example, it might see a new fruit and it might say, "Oh, I'm going to call this an apple because it looks like an apple." With deep learning, you don't make any assumptions. Right, so deep learning will will generate features and will generate labels, but they will it will be probably more distributed than what you will see with machine learning. So an exam another example maybe that we can use to kind of narrow down is is when when airplane manufacturers are building a new a new engine, they will use uh, deep learning where they have millions and 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 many parameters in order to understand what that new new engine will do. However, once it's deployed, they will have figured out that maybe 10 to 15 of those features and parameters are important and will only monitor those. So in other words, deep learning you use to figure out what you don't know or what you don't understand. And deep learning will return all these possibilities. And it will then allow you to figure out which of those features are important and which aren't important. 
Okay, so a light just went on for me that didn't go on when I heard you talking about this before. We wouldn't use deep learning to identify fruit in a basket because that's something that we don't need to do because we know what the fruit is. We use deep learning for things that we don't understand. That's kind of the summary of what I think you're trying to use with that example of the fruit and a human and an alien. Exactly. And it's the scale also, right? If you if you say it's a fruit basket, the human will do fine. But if you say, I want, you know, a container filled, filled with fruit, then you're better off with a deep learning strategy than with a machine learning strategy. And one of the topics that you hit on at the discussion at Discover was accuracy of a model. And I thought that was interesting because you kind of talked about that it doesn't seem to be as absolute as some people might think. You know, talk a little bit about model accuracy and why that's important, and what, how do we measure that, and what, when is it important to measure, and what do those measurements mean? When you go through training and you collect all your data and you you come up with a model, there is a lot of math going behind the scenes, and the math really is all about statistics. So. When, when, for example, you would use a speech recognition engine and ask a user, please say yes or no, and the user says yes, internally, it's never going to be, I think, for 100%, the user said yes. It's typically something like, you know, 82%, the system thinks you said yes, and then for 10%, the system thinks you said no, and for the remainder, we actually had no idea what you said, and that's that's a challenge for people that work in AI because you don't get 100% results. You always get split results across the possibilities. And so it is really important to understand when somebody says, I have a model, for example, to recognize handwritten digits, and that person says, I have an accuracy of 83%. It really doesn't say much because if the individual used only his, his own handwriting to come up with the model, then the 83% is good for him or her. But if he would use, he or she would use that model with family members, the, the 80, the, they will, he or she will not get 83% uh, accuracy. It will be a lot less. And so what that means is that when people talk about model accuracy, that percentage is really a reflection on what you do know, on the data you used. It doesn't tell you anything about what you don't know. And so that's why model accuracy, when it's published without context, doesn't have a lot of meaning. And it's very important because when you try to improve a model, that's really what you look at, right? You look at the accuracy. How How is my model doing against against uh, the individuals that are using the system. You know, back at the beginning of the year, I did a podcast uh, number 21, looking at uh, AI ML ops and what's going on in the environment. We had uh, Evan Sparks on that, who was the CEO of a company HP acquired called Determine AI. And a lot of what they do is about that models. What, what, what's the state of what's going on in, from your opinion, in the, in those models and the deep learning and what do you see as potentially what the future is going to hold? Yeah, from, from an enterprise perspective, it's, it's very interesting, right? So 10 years ago, um, people that were, um, dealing with AI were the very technical people think PhDs and so on. And, and so those people had a, 
had an intimate understanding of math and, and how everything worked behind the scenes. And, and today, that is not the case anymore in the sense that AI is all over the place, right? It, it used to be that five, six years ago, I would do presentations saying these are the verticals where AI is being practiced. It's a slide I don't use anymore because AI is all over the place, but it has a side effect. And the side effect is that the, the average knowledge about AI or the intimate details of AI, it's, it, it's actually going down, meaning that there are a lot of people now that, that want to do AI or have to do AI that don't necessarily understand all the basics. And so it is kind of a shift in the sense that that everybody is involved now. You know, when you talk to AI about to enterprises, the C executives are involved. There are data engineers, there are data scientists, and then there are the the the, the DevOps people and the AI ops people. And it's very complex while the market is demanding faster and faster results. So if you think about it, every two years the amount of data triples. And so it is kind of a fight against the time where models are becoming more complex, more complex is translated in more mathematical analysis. And then you throw on top of that, that you have to process more and more data. So in reality, it is very challenging for a, an organization like an enterprise to stay on top of things, right? Everything is moving. There's more data. The, the the models are, are becoming more complex. People want to get their results faster and faster. And so everybody, if they haven't started working on AI, have to start on AI. And it's not easy. So when you look at the market, you will see that there are people that are, are very advanced in AI. You know, think Google, Facebook, uh, and others. And then you have other people uh, where HPC was really dominant, and now they're trying to do AI on top of that. So it's a long story to say that it's a little bit all over the place, right? There's no way to say that all enterprises are at the same level. They're all at different stages. Some people are still trying to understand AI. Some people already have models and trying to improve it. Uh, and then they have the people in the middle who are working on, on AI and trying to improve as much as they can. One of the things I was surprised when you and I talked for a few minutes at Discover was to hear that you're actually a business partner and a solution provider. So you're obviously doing consulting for enterprises um, who are trying to up their game around AI. Um, in terms of, I don't want you to be, a, I don't want you to be a pimp for HPE because that's my job. Um, but you work with HPE all the time, and what we're doing with AI. What is it that you think HPE is doing right with AI solutions that you've that you've decided to partner with HPE to deliver AI solutions. Right. So I, I think another way to look at it is, is why do we exist? Why do we, why, why are we be between HPE and, and the end user, right? Why doesn't HPE go straight to the end user? And that's because we're, we're in a market shift, right? An organization like HPE has, has been known for selling servers and selling storage and selling network and traditionally people have always picked, you know, supposedly best of breed. So they might buy servers from one company and network from another company. The reality with AI is a lot more complex, meaning that all the pieces have to work perfectly and efficiently together, right? And so when, when 
when an organization or a customer is talking to HPE, HPE can explain all the different components, but they're still missing the 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 AI glue or the AI um, knowledge, if you want, and experience. And so what organizations like us are doing is we're trying to translate what an end user is saying on what they're trying to do, and we translate that into infrastructure, and that's how we work with HPE. And so a, a marketing term would be is that we've delivered AI solutions. So a customer says, I want to do speech recognition, I want GPUs, um, I want to use multiple GPUs at the same time. So we translate that into equipment and then we work with HPE to, to put it together. And so that's that's really what, what the market wants nowadays is AI solutions. They don't want to know about the DL360. They don't want to know about 3PAR or they don't want to know what kind of a network switch. What they want is a an efficient solution that has been proven where all these components work together and where from day one they can be, they being the end user, they can be productive. And it's a little bit of a challenge, right? It's not easy to do that. But, you know, HP, uh, like you said, you know, they have acquired determined AI. Uh, there's the Esmeralda portfolio. There is uh, on the enterprise side, you have high performance file systems like Weka that help you puzzle these things together. And then you have the HPC team, the Cray guys, who, who, who have the ability to build very large scale systems around AI that is very attractive to larger organizations. But in the end, it's all about AI solutions, right? So if you, if you talk to an organization 10 years ago and today, 10 years ago, you would start with the infrastructure. Today, the infrastructure conversation is actually last. It's really people saying, give me a solution. And then once they are convinced that the solution will help them, then they will ask, you know, what's, what's under the cover? So I've been like forming this question of all through this discussion with you, and I'm not sure I'm going to ask it the best way possible. But, you know, one of the things that HPE has done over the last couple of years, and I think it really became clear last year at Discover, is talking about us being an edge to cloud company. And, you know, I think a year, two years ago, I didn't really understand what edge meant. But as we are starting to see AI and all these collection points, I think that's a perfect example of what the edge is. So tell me a little bit from your perspective and your experience, what what does that edge mean to you? I, I, at the end of the day, it seems like it's anywhere that data is being created that you need to be able to do something with that data closer to the source instead of going to a data center. Right. It's a little bit, it's it's kind of funny how the, how the world works, right? At some point, uh, everything was distributed and then people were saying, oh, everything needs to be centralized. And then we're going back to distribution. So what it really comes down to, and I think you, you hit it right on the nail is AI is all about processing data. So that data is being generated and created somewhere. And and the reality is, is the data is being created all over the place. And technically you could say, I want all my data to be centralized and I'm gonna process it centralized, assuming that, that it's the most efficient way to do that. But the reality is, is that it's not very feasible, right? It's you you can't moving data from left to right and right to left. It's 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 very very time consuming and very costly. I mean, it's it's really 
you know, data gravity. I mean, moving petabytes of data from left to right doesn't really work. So you have to to process their data, the data where where it is, and that's where the the edge to cloud concept comes into play, right? If the the data is collected at the edge, why don't we put in the effort to analyze a little bit or a lot of the data based on the capabilities, and then you can still move or copy the most interesting data to a centralized organization but it's it's really um the the dynamics of data and data movement and data management that is really pushing the whole edge concept yeah and i think uh, you know just in the last podcast i did uh number 31 i actually talked with um the folks who are working on the edge and if you were uh, I don't know if you saw it at discover but we revealed this project called project edge cluster and in that conversation we talked about how you know 20 years ago you had a CPU that you could use and now we just to have so many cores that we can fit into a small 2U rack that it just becomes way more sensible to to process that data on the edge instead of like you said move it to a data center because that data has gravity and it costs a lot of money and it takes time and effort to do that whereas with the cost of a what we can do on the edge has come so far down it just makes way more sense now to do more at the edge right i would say the number one issue with ai today is that the data availability is becoming a problem in the sense that it's so easy to collect the data and it's e a lot very easy to to generate that data that's and it becomes your ip right your data is ip and and so you want to take advantage of it you don't want to lose the the you know pun intended the edge to to your data to the value of your data where it's only going to get worse like like i mentioned in every two years you have the amount of data being generated is times three so the edge is the future the edge is where the data is being collected and you have to have a mechanism to take advantage of that data that's what ai is all about right storing data is 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 really not helping helping ai storing and processing slash analyzing the data that is the key to success of ai Perfect. Well, I think that's a great place to end this conversation. I think you and I are going to need to have more discussions here because I think there's a lot deeper that we could go. Um, one thing I'd say, though, is when you introduced yourself at the beginning, you didn't talk about your company. So let's do that before we uh, sign off here. Talk about uh, your company and how people can get a hold of you, website, stuff like that. Yeah. So my company is called HiFence. So it's H I G H F E N S.com. And so we are. Uh, a consulting and services organization. So we do help uh, organizations understand AI, just like we did in the podcast. And then the second piece we do is produce uh, AI solutions for customers. And you can also find me on Twitter and LinkedIn as Frederick V. Heron. Frederick, this has been a really enlightening discussion. I really appreciate your time and uh, this has been great. And again, I think we probably will need to have a follow-up sometime in the future going a little bit deeper on this topic. So uh, thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having me. You can subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, Apple iTunes, Google, Amazon Music, Audible, Podcast Addict, and many other podcast subscription services. We've also just got a new home on HPE.com. You can find the podcast on HPE.com slash DMN slash ATITB. Love hearing from you on Twitter, where you can find me as Calvin Zito. You can find our blogs at community.hpe.com. Until next time, thanks for joining me.